Good morning, I'm John Carroll in for Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, October 10th. San Diegans react to the conflict between Israel and Hamas. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Kaiser and union negotiators are expected to return to bargaining again on Thursday, and around 4,500 healthcare workers across the county are prepared to go on strike again if a deal isn't reached. A Kaiser Permanente spokesperson told KPBS that the union issued a notice to strike over the weekend. Workers would walk off the job November 1st through the 8th. Outsourcing in particular has emerged as a sticking point in negotiations. Governor Gavin Newsom has hundreds of bills left to sign or veto before Sunday. Over the weekend, he vetoed a bill that would have decriminalized plant-based hallucinogens such as magic mushrooms. State lawmakers hoped to legalize them so they could be used to treat mental disorders like PTSD. Cap Radio's politics reporter Nicole Nixon says Newsom signaled he may support future legislation, though. In a letter to lawmakers, Newsom said any measure to decriminalize psychedelics should come with regulations and focus on therapeutic benefits. The bill's author, Democratic State Senator Scott Weiner, said he would author legislation following Newsom's guidelines next year. It's getting cooler this week. The National Weather Service says there's a slight chance of patchy drizzle overnight tonight. There's also a wind advisory in effect from 2 p.m. today through 11 tomorrow morning for the county's mountain and desert areas. Forecasters say gusts could reach up to 50 miles per hour. Temperatures in the county's inland areas are expected to be in the mid-70s today. It'll be in the high 60s near the coast, in the mid-60s in the mountain areas, and in the low 90s in the deserts. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The events in Israel over the weekend hit close to home for San Diegans on both sides of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Reporter Matt Hoffman has more. The number of casualties, the amount of destruction, the targeting of innocent civilians, uh, and the numbers missing, captured, held hostage, it is something that is almost impossible to hold. President and CEO of the Jewish Federation of San Diego, Heidi Gantwork, says she hasn't seen conflict like this in 50 years since the Yom Kippur War. The community here is, is, is in shock. We have a big Israeli community here. Many of them uh, have family or friends who have been affected, who are missing, who are injured. The Jewish Federation is holding a vigil Tuesday evening in La Jolla. It's for those who've lost their lives and to show support for Israel. They're also collecting donations. 
San Diego State political science professor Farid Abdel Noor expects to see more Palestinian casualties in the coming days. He grew up in the West Bank and is looking for positive action from the U.S. and neighboring countries. To help resolve this conflict in a manner that is fair and just to both peoples, that respects the dignity and the humanity of both equally. We have had no such proposals any time in recent memory. He says it's important for people to understand that this conflict started long before Saturday. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. San Diego's goal of net zero greenhouse gas emissions depends largely on phasing out the use of natural gas. But Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says a recent court decision has put that goal in jeopardy. San Diego had hoped to update its building code to require all new buildings be fully electric. But last spring, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found a similar ban on natural gas in Berkeley was illegal. Serena Pelka is a policy advocate for the nonprofit Climate Action Campaign. She says the city can still offer stronger incentives to phase out natural gas. We need to see our jurisdictions tackling all of these challenges using as many tools and strategies as they can. We want them to be creative. We want them to be innovative, and ultimately that's what we're going to need to reach zero carbon and have the quality of life and future that we all deserve. Natural gas accounts for 21% of San Diego's carbon emissions, second only to transportation. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. After more than three years, the water divorce saga between the San Diego County Water Authority and two North County water agencies could be over soon. North County reporter Alexander Nguyen explains what Rainbow and Fallbrook residents will be seeing on their ballot this November. In July, the Local Agency Formation Commission, or LAFCO, approved the divorce. It's the agency overseeing disputes like this. Detachment is a two-step process. Now voters in Rainbow and Fallbrook will have their say in November's special election. Like any divorce, the problem started brewing years ago. The Water Authority started making infrastructure improvements for water reliability about 30 years ago. And like any infrastructure projects, there were costs. The projects raised water rates for everyone. While San Diego County ratepayers have been paying somewhat higher rates, it's because we can count on that water supply. That's Kelly Gage, the Assistant General Manager for the Water Authority. But for residents and farmers in Rainbow and Fallbrook, The costs were too much, and they say they weren't benefiting from the projects. Nick Kernich is a farmer in Fallbrook. I'm really hoping this will open up an opportunity for uh, farmers to actually get fair water rates. According to a LAFCO analysis, Rainbow and Fallbrook residents could save an estimated $7.7 million a year by leaving. If residents vote yes to leave, they will still need to pay an exit fee of roughly $25 million over the next five years. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News. Early voting has begun. If you want to drop off your ballot in person, the Registrar of Voters Office in Kearney Mesa is open from 8 in the morning until 5 p.m. on weekdays. You can also return your ballot through the mail or at any of the Registrar's official ballot drop boxes starting today through the final day of voting. The same goes for the Chula Vista City Attorney and District 4 Supervisor races. A growing number of American residents are going to college in Tijuana. Border reporter Gustavo Solis says cheaper tuition is just one of the perks. 
Melissa Perez lives in National City. Every morning, she has to take the trolley, walk across the border, and get a ride from a friend to campus. It's an hour and a half commute, but once she sees her friends, Perez says it's totally worth it. Like, I'll be in a really bad mood in the morning, but I'll get over here, and my mood just instantly goes, oh, I'm here. Perez is one of approximately 350 students who live in the U.S., but are enrolled in a private Mexican university called CETIS, which stands for Centro de Enseñanza Técnica y Superior. CETIS has campuses in Tijuana, Mexicali, and Ensenada. Classes are taught in English and Spanish. Perez loves the small class sizes, especially compared to the large lecture halls in the U.S. You know how the classes are really big over there, and it's like 40, 40 students to like one teacher? They can't pay that much attention to you. And over here, it's like 20 students to one teacher. Fernando Leon Garcia is CETIS president. He says it's common for people who live along the border to split their time between both countries. They'll live on one side, but shop or work on the other. Especially those who are in the San Juana area, it goes in both directions. And education is not an exception. Leon Garcia says several factors contribute to a high number of American resident students. Tuition is 5000 per semester, slightly cheaper than in-state tuition at UC San Diego, but a little more than SDSU. CETIS also has the same level of accreditation given to all universities in California, like UCLA and Stanford. CETIS specializes in business and engineering. The university also has partnerships with multinational companies in Tijuana, where students can work and earn school credit. A few blocks from here is Foxconn. It's the largest subcontractor for Apple worldwide. In the world of international higher ed, what's happening at CETIS is an outlier. In fact, the opposite direction is what we traditionally would kind of observe. Gerardo Blanco is the academic director of the Center for International Higher Education at Boston College. Most frequent destinations for international students are the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, to some extent New Zealand, right? Normally we think about this as the big five. What's happening at CETIS bucks that trend and speaks to an increase in student mobility. Back in Tijuana, Ezequiel Abundes enrolled in CETIS after graduating from Southwestern College. He'll have the option to work in the U.S. or Mexico. Most people expect him to go back to San Diego, but he plans to stay in Tijuana. El saber que pude y lo hice en México, o sea, como mexicano, este, siento que, que es como hacer un juego nivel leyenda, por, por así decirlo. Como... He says that, as a Mexican, it's important for him to succeed in Mexico, to be an example for others that they don't have to leave in order to get ahead in life. Still, even students who plan to return to San Diego see value in their Mexican education. Because, like, everybody's supporting me. I've literally had no negative comments. Perez says she's reconnected with her Mexican heritage. She's also made lots of new friends, something she credits to Mexican students being a bit more outgoing than the ones she's used to in the U.S. Well, American students are kind of mean. <laughs> they like keep to themselves and it's not the same atmosphere. Like over here, you literally don't know anybody and you're, immediately you start making jokes. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Coming up, how SDSU helps its Hispanic and Latino students find a sense of identity and community. What we do at SDSU and other institutions do across the nation is try to think about in what ways we are intentionally serving our Hispanic, Latinx population 
um, in ways that make them feel like the campus is culturally affirming and welcoming. We'll have that and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Thousands of people throughout the county celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day yesterday. The holiday replaced Columbus Day in California four years ago. North County reporter Alexander Nguyen takes us to one of the multiple celebrations across the county. Bringing the songs of their ancestors to life, the bird singers are passing down thousands of years of tradition to the next generation. Raymond Berlardis is a bird singer from the Sambasquale Band of Mission Indians. They hosted the all-day celebration at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. He says these songs are not just a story, but also a way of life. It's how our people should live, and it, it tells a story from sunup, sundown, and all around, you know, so these songs are very sacred to us. I always tell the kids, you know, keep learning, keep, keep dancing, keep trying, don't ask, a, or ask questions. There's no wrong answers or wrong questions. Just get out there and do it yourself. And keep the traditions alive for the next thousand years. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News. SDSU is one of many Hispanic-serving institutions in California and across the country with a Latinx resource center, a Chicana and Chicano studies department, and a center for Latin American studies. So how is the university supporting its Hispanic and Latino students in finding a sense of identity and community? Emilio Uyowa is an associate chief diversity officer at SDSU, and Renzo Lara is the director of SDSU's Latinx Resource Center. They joined my colleague Jade Heinemann to talk about their lived experiences with navigating their own identity and helping students on campus to do the same. Emilio, I want to start with you. SDSU is designated as a Hispanic-serving institution, HSI for short. What does it mean for a college campus to be an HSI? Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question. At its basic level definition, it refers to uh, eligibility requirements that a campus has to meet to be able to apply for grants under um, a federal program, right? So um, what it means is that a campus, an institution has to be accrediting university that that has at least 25% of its student body who self-identify as Hispanic or Latino. And there are you know, other requirements under the federal guidelines for, for that. But I, I think it's an important question because that isn't necessarily what it means for our students. That um, we uh, across the nation, there's been a movement to really think about the true meaning behind being a Hispanic-serving institution, as opposed to just um, you know thinking about those minimum requirements for for federal guidelines. And so, um, what we do at SDSU and others other institutions do across the nation is is try to think about in what ways we are intentionally serving our Hispanic, Latinx population um, in ways that make them feel like the campus is culturally affirming and welcoming. And at SDSU in particular, we don't just think about those experiences for students, but we think about um, what the campus climate is for 
faculty and staff and students. And one of the ways you all do that is through the Latinx Resource Center um, with the Office of HSI Affairs, really to help Hispanic and Latino students adjust to college life, but staff as well. Is that right, Renzo? That is correct. As Dr. Emilio Ulloa mentioned, uh, we particularly serve our, our students and really trying to look at the serving this aspect, being really intentional. And yes, we have a large enrollment of Latino, Latina, Hispanic students, but the center here itself is really intended to, one, ensure that they have a welcoming space, two, that they are able to then be connected to people that are similar backgrounds, and three, we're able to help them with their academic journey and college, uh, also worldwide experience here at San Diego State. And we do that with, we have peer students and we also have uh, full-time staff uh, that are all dedicated to the uh, success of our students who visit our space. I also want to dig into identity here. I mean, what Hispanic, Latino, and Chicano identity means. Each term has its own different history and different culture even. So how do you each personally define yourselves? Emilio, I'll start with you. When people ask me about how I choose to identify, I say I'm Chicano. That identity encompasses a lot about what my values are, um, not only um, the region of the country, uh, the, the region of the world that my heritage stems from, but also my place in this country uh, with respect to um, generations, generational status, and also, um, as I sort of alluded to before, the social and political values that are important to me. So it's a choice that I make personally. I will say that I do have an affinity for other terms in terms of feeling like I belong to those those groups as well, which I hope we have a chance to get, get into. Um, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine, Hispanic, for different reasons and in different contexts. What about you, Renzo? Yes, uh, similar. And, and one of the things I do want to stress is that, uh, you know, both Emilio and myself, we are not historians or researchers. We were coming from a, from a lived experience in terms of what we see when we're engaged in a community on a daily basis. So this is, again, our lived experience. So for me, it's one, I would say that I'm Mexican-American as I was born in the United States but I have Mexican heritage from both of my parents. Uh, I would also add, yes, the same same definition as Chicano based on the activism, based on the aspects of social movements and so on. And then I would also throw in there for me as somebody who identifies as transborder, because I do have family in the, the cross the border in Tijuana and in San Diego. So I had the lived experience of living in, in, in Tijuana as a child and then moving and migrating to the United States when I was uh, a preteen. So for me, it goes even deeper into those, those terms, but those are always great conversation pieces. We always engage in those dialogues with our students and the community. I always say it's never a solution where it kind of come uh, out of this in terms of the dialogue is more of having conversations and also at the same time uh, knowing and exploring who we are as individuals within the Latin American community. Yeah, if I might add to that as well, one of the things that that Dr. Lara and I have talked about that's really important to make sure that we that we say in the space here 
is that um, we're reflecting on the fact that that these choices is uh, uh, choices about how one identifies are extremely personal, right? And that they are a function of not just a person's background and history, but how they intersect with the world, how they've how they've come into contact with or have or or, or have not with institutionalized racism and and experiences of discrimination. And each person's choice is a function of their journey. That was Emilio Uyowa, the Associate Chief Diversity Officer of HSI and Regional Affairs at SDSU, and Renzo Lara, the Director of SDSU's Latinx Resource Center, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Dia de Muertos is a Mexican tradition that celebrates death, life, and memories of the departed. This year, KPBS is hosting a digital community ofrenda, or altar, where you can celebrate a loved one who has passed away. You can share photos and memories at kpbs.org slash dayofthedead, or you can call 619-452-0228 and leave a message. Make sure to include your loved one's name, their relationship to you, your name, and where you are from. We are accepting submissions through October 22nd. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. It's been fun hosting the podcast over the last week with you all. My colleague Debbie Cruz will be back tomorrow. Join her for the day's top stories, plus a story on how people are handling their student loan repayments resuming. I'm John Carroll. Thanks for listening, and have a great Tuesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.